So we are in Matthew chapter 17, just uh, been looking forward to this morning's uh, study. And um, we always joke, okay, so going back to that whole, do, do you know, you guys know what Hua and Hura and Huya, what all that's about? How many of you have, been, have served in the military? Thank you. So have I. And so we know that, okay, so Navy and Marines poke fun at each other, right? Yeah. So Marine is a division of the Navy. Um, it, it's part of the bigger See, that's it. <laughs> and so, so in, in the Navy, the whole battle cry is hoo right? It's, um, I remember going through dive school, and, uh, and our instructor, we were, like, taking it to a whole different level. And this has nothing to do with our text this morning, but it's... <clears throat> but, um, you know, he, he was... Because you're treated differently when, you, when you're going through training... And uh, when you haven't quite graduated yet, and so he told us that we were not, as we were running and, and, uh, and saying cadence and all that, he says, you are not allowed to say who ya until uh, I tell you, you have earned it. So what are we supposed to, like, cry out, right? It's, he says, Yahoo. <laughs> so it was like, it's the most, uh, you know, demeaning and like, here we are, a bunch of you know, guys thinking we're all tough, yelling Yahoo, you know. And so anyway, so we are in Matthew chapter 17. We're covering verses 14 through 27. So the remainder of the chapter is what we're covering this morning. And uh, we're covering faith, death, and taxes. Those three things, faith, de- death, and taxes. So let's stand to our feet. Let's read these verses, and then we will get into our study. Verse 20, or verse 14 of chapter 17 says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If ye have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Heavenly Father, we, as we read these verses, lay the foundation upon which we can understand what comes after. Lord, it is is by faith that we please you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so I pray that you would build our faith in you. Lord, that we would understand that it's not the size of our faith that matters, but it's the kind of faith that we exercise in the object of our faith, 
that truly matters. And so, Father, I pray that you would minister to us in a special way this morning. That you would help us in our unbelief. And strengthen us in those areas, Father, that we have just but a small mustard seed size of faith, Lord. Just bless this time, Father. We ask that you administer to us. Give us understanding of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was Benjamin Franklin that said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. I'm sure you've heard that quote before. But we know that according to the knowledge that we have in God's word, that that was absolutely wrong, right? There are other certainties. There is certainty of God's word of knowing forgiveness in Jesus Christ and of knowing reconciliation unto the Father through him. There are many certainties that can be challenged and proven by the results. Uh, Would you like to challenge gravity? Well, you'll see what happens when you challenge gravity. Would you challenge, would you like to challenge breathing underwater? Well, we'll see what happens when you make that attempt. And that is without introducing any alternatives or modifications. Because just with the simple fact that From the creation of the world, there were these certain laws that had already been established that they can only be proven and not broken. In fact, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 very simply says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Maybe you're familiar with Newton's third law of motion, which states, For every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. But what we need to understand is this wasn't Newton's law, actually. It was Newton's discovery of what already existed. The law that God had established from the time of creation. It's not really Newton's law, but rather God's law. Newton didn't invent and create it. God did. He simply discovered it. And as you come to realize this and know it to be true, you come to know and receive God's word as certainty. It becomes, it becomes, uh, it gets to a place in our hearts and in our lives to where we increase in our faith as we understand that God's word is immovable. It never changes. And God is the same yesterday, He's the same today, and He will forever be the same. He is unchanging. And that helps us to receive the, God's word in such a way that it ministers to us and it, and it applies to us in the, in the very place where we find ourselves in today. Right at this moment, He speaks to us as a whole, in its entirety, but also in portions as we study God's Word, as we'll see this morning. This morning, again, we'll take a look at faith, death, and taxes. Uh, such exhilarating topics, right? And with the certainty of God's word, we'll see how, with faith, the disciples were learning how to be, quote-unquote, uprooters of mountains in the exercising of their faith, no matter how big or how small their faith was. We'll also see how, with death, we come to understand how perspective is everything. It has everything to do with how we receive it. And then taxes, what Jesus has to say about taxes in his perfect knowledge. And there are lessons that we can learn 
even in those few verses that we'll cover this morning. So let's start out with faith. We read these verses, and I'd like to just read them with you once more, and we'll go from there. This story, by the way, can also be found in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So again, beginning in verse 14, says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And and Jesus rebuked the demon. And they came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly, or that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. In Mark chapter 9, it gives us a little bit more detail as far as the story is concerned. We're told that when Jesus came to the other disciples, after having coming down from the mountain of transfiguration, there was this arguing that he um, came upon. There's an argument. There was a big crowd that was gathered. The disciples were there, and they were arguing with the scribes. This commotion was going on, and when the disciples saw Jesus, they ran to him, they greeted him, but they approached him with great amazement, is what we know in Mark chapter 9. And then Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And it was at this point that we understand that they weren't given the opportunity, not at that point, to answer Jesus... But rather, there was a gentleman from the crowd that came out and fell before Jesus and answered why it was that they were arguing. He fell before Jesus, kneeling before him, giving him all the details of the condition of his son, asking that Jesus have mercy on his son. This man came to Jesus in a position of honor, of reverence, And he simply cried out to the one who truly could give mercy to his son. What happened earlier, and as we've come to know, is that the father had asked the disciples to cast out the demon that was causing his son to be mute and to go into seizures. But as the father said, they were not able. They could not heal him. It was at this point that Jesus responded with, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. I find it interesting sometimes as we read some of these responses of Jesus that they're very direct, right? They are honest and they're trustworthy. And even as we look at this statement, this begins the... Our study, as, as, we, as we realize what it was that was holding back these disciples from casting this demon out of this son, this person. He calls them faithless, a twisted generation. And he asks the question, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This all leads into the next statement that he makes about his death. His burial and resurrection. 
But we need to pay attention to these things because these, these types of statements also, if you take into consideration how sometimes there are things in our lives that we're, we're not quite exercising our faith in, this is very fitting. <laughs> are, we, are we exhibiting these kinds of attributes, these characteristics? Uh, are we being faithless? Faithless. Are, are we... Um, part of maybe our, our thinking, the way we're looking at things, is twisted, it's perverted. It's not sound, it's not pure, it's not holy, it's not in line with what God tells us. We need to allow the Lord to examine our hearts and reveal what may have been stated and claimed about someone else in the Bible so that we may confess those things and ask the Lord to set us straight, to bring us upright one more time. And after that, he says, bring him here to me. And when the demon realized who Jesus was, and when Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of the boy, and the boy was healed instantly. I know some translations say that very hour. It's another way of saying instantly. He was at that very moment when the demon realized who was before him and who it was that commanded that demon to come out, that he came out. Uh, One of the important points that may be obvious but worth pointing out here is that while here on earth, our faith is encouraged and refueled at times when we are on the mountaintops, in that time of fellowship with the Lord. You know, when you have those special moments Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Sometimes it's in the evening, during the day. It's just those special moments when you meet with the Lord, open up His Word, and just have this special time of reading. He's ministering to you. He's speaking to you. And and you're just in awe. Those times of refreshing. Those are special, right? Those are times that we're refueled. But we're refueled. we're, We're refreshed. We're ministered to. We're spoken to. We're encouraged and strengthened on the mountaintops with the Lord in order that we may be equipped to minister to the person that is found in the valleys of life. We go from the mountaintop to now the valley, from spending time with the Lord in all of His glory, amazing, right? And now He's found down below with this person who is just out of his mind. Is something's wrong here? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For the disciples, as we see here, it's very clear that they were the ones, these are the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, that they had been sent out with Jesus' power. He had sent them out, if you um, remember back in Matthew chapter 10, with power to heal. It was there that Jesus told them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You have received without pain, give without pay. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. This is what they were sent out to do prior to what we have before us here. This inability of them to 
cast the demon out, which Jesus was very clear back in chapter 10, you have the power to do this. So it was more than just pointing to God, who is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And instead, you know, as we point to Him, you know, in, in, when we're afflicted with certain issues and trials in our lives, and we're comforted by God, the God of all comfort, He is merciful. With them, it was a bit more. For them, as they were sent out, the apostles were given special power to heal, to cast out demons, to to do all of these things. We point to people, to Jesus Christ, so that they may know peace, that peace which surpasses all understanding. But it was more because Jesus, again, had given them his power and his authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, but they failed to do so. So it was a huge fail. And the question, as they pulled Jesus off to the side and privately asked him, why? Why? Well, the answer was little faith. Apparently, it was too little to be of any real value and effect to help this man's son. But before we get into that little faith, I want to bring up a second point that I believe is important for us to see illustrated here. The disciples failed, but they came to Jesus and asked him, why? Why could we not cast it out? It was an important question. It's it's something that we shouldn't gloss over. They asked him off to the side, kind of privately, after he had given a rebuke and healed the boy himself. At this point, don't worry about the answer, but just consider the fact that they asked Jesus. They were seeking an answer from no one else, but from him. Remember earlier that they had been arguing with the scribes when Jesus arrived, and I wonder what it was that they were arguing about. The scribes, you see, were teachers, teachers of the law, teachers of the people. And so they were the ones that the people would go to if they had questions about their faith, about the word of God. But here, before them, is the teacher, Jesus Christ. What is important is that they ask Jesus why. It would do us well. It would serve us well. If we, more often in our lives, when we are confronted with issues, we're kind of baffled by the circumstances that we find ourselves, to simply ask Jesus, why? What is going on? And allow him to speak to us. And it's not in some weird, mystical way. If you want to hear from the Lord and gain wisdom, you need to open up his word and allow him to speak to you through his word. 2 Peter 1.3, in fact, says it very clear. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You want to know Jesus? Get into the word of God. You want to know the things that pertain to life and godliness? Read God's word and increase in your knowledge. And as you apply that knowledge to your life, it's called wisdom. It's rightly applied knowledge 
rightly. If you truly desire to receive the answer to your dilemma, then ask Jesus. Know him, know wisdom, and that which pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. You want to get knowledge? Get knowledge of him. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Know the Bible. Apply the Bible. Repeat. That, that's it. It, it. It's a very simple formula. But sometimes what happens is, is one of those parts are missing. You know, sometimes we read it, but we don't study it. We may study it and read it, and, but we don't apply it. We need, we need to have that formula continuously being applied to our lives, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we would have the answers given to us through his word to his glory. So it was not too much for Jesus to cast out this demon because he had the power and authority to do that very thing. And that's what he did. The disciples came to him and asked him privately as to why they could not cast this demon out. And he answered them. And the reason why, I'm not going to pay too much attention to the whole miracle. And we would agree, right? It is absolutely a miracle. Jesus came. He spoke. The demon's out. He has power and authority to do that. Why would we think that that would be something just crazy? It's not crazy. It's Exactly what would happen when the creator of the universe, God, would speak, and so it will be. But they asked the question, why couldn't they cast this demon out? And he answered them very clearly, because of your little faith. The third very important lesson this morning is, faith is the exercising of your faith. You know, it's not just because you say, I have a lot of faith. But if you fail to exercise that faith, then it's not faith at all. It doesn't matter how much you have, but rather what the object of your faith is. In fact, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And he's talking about the rich young ruler, uh, about how it was that, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, so the disciples, of course, they were like, oh, wow. So if, it, if it's that difficult for him to go through and he's observed the law since his youth, then what does that say for everyone else? And that's when he said, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. It, it, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God. It was Gabriel, the angel, who told Mary... For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. The key, you see, to our belief is not any magic in our focus or concentration. I'll just concentrate a little bit more. Maybe it's the words that I speak and the manner in which I speak them. May they be just be forceful and repeated over and over and over and over again. And that will, therefore, move the heart of God and cause something to happen. No, that's what the mystics believe. And those are one of the things that we'll be talking about on Sunday evenings that has crept into the church. But that's not what we see in Scripture. It's not because the guys on the other hill 
are crying out to their God, and he's going to the restroom, or maybe he's sleeping. You know, the prophets of Baal. That whole story, right? And they just, yell louder, maybe he'll hear you. No, it's not that. It's not that at all. But really what matters and what is of utmost importance is the object of our faith. It's a surrendered trust and belief in the power and authority of God to do that which is not possible with man. Sometimes it's just, it's just be, be quiet before the Lord and acknowledge Him. It's not really your effort or the things that you say or how you say them, but it's simply surrendering to the lordship and authority and power of God. I, I, I believe, Lord, I believe that you can do this. And if it's your will, touch and heal. Loosen the tongue to speak. Open up the ear to hear. Heal this person of whatever ailment has burdened them. I believe that you can. If you are willing, do so. Do it. And just just believe it. It's it's a surrender. You see, Christianity is a faith of surrender, of simply surrendering in the Lord. Bob Hoekstra would speak of that quite often. He's home with the Lord right now, but what a wonderful teacher of the Word of God. And I remember him, one of the things that I'll always remember from his teaching is that he would say, Christianity is not more effort. It's more surrender. Just believing that God can, and if he wills, allow him to do it. See him do it. You see, with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever seen God do more, way more above and beyond what you can ever think or imagine? I've seen him do that. And it is truly amazing. It's a faith builder, isn't it? You didn't, it wasn't anything that was required of, of you to have that faith built. It was simply observing and surrendering and knowing and believing and, and seeing it. It's like, wow, that, that's truly amazing. The power and authority, although the Spirit is dwelling in the Christian, is not the Christian himself that does the work, but rather the Spirit. You know, it's like we shouldn't be taking any credit. It's the Spirit working within us and through us and using us. The object of our faith must be Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, If ye have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Um, I could probably... Can you see that? Pick something up. I don't know what it is, but. <laughs> Someone's eyelash. No. Do you know how big uh, a mustard seed is? It's tiny. It's really, really tiny. Let me read this again. 
If you, if, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. Okay, so with faith, like that tiny, it's just minuscule, right? If it's just, if it's this big, okay, and the object of your faith is God, and it's this big, it's this tiny, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Do you believe that at times God does want to do the impossible through you? He, he wants to be glorified through your life. You should all, all answer, yes, absolutely, amen. He does desire. And are you willing to be used in that way? I hope you are. Some people say, after that illustration, I just don't have the faith that you have. Have you ever heard that? Man, you, you have more faith than I do. Like, okay, so maybe, maybe yours, Tom, is the size of a baseball and mine is the size of a mustard seed, right? Well, what's possible with faith the size of a mustard seed? Like as if that justifies the malpractice of the faith they do have. Really, that's what the excuse is or the outright neglect of their faith entirely. It's like you say, I don't, I don't have your faith. And so they just go back to doing nothing, not doing anything at all. It's like, no, 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 listen. We have that just that smallest amount of faith. God desires that we exercise that in complete surrender to him and believe that he has the power and authority and he desires to work in and through us to his glory. He desires that. And Jesus was telling his disciples and is telling us today, if you have the smallest, tiniest of faith and you exercise it, you can be an uprooter of mountains. In other words, any faith in God is faith that can do the impossible because with God all things are possible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? It's not our righteousness by any stretch of the imagination. It's the righteousness that covers us in Christ. As the Father sees us, He sees the righteousness of the Son that covers us. Do you believe, truly, when someone asks you, can you pray for me? Can you pray that the bonds of whatever it is that's got a hold of me can be loosed? Do you believe that they can be loosed, or are you just going through the motions? Do you believe that power, the, the power of God can do that? I believe that. It's like, I, I believe he can do whatever he wants to do at any time and in any way. With God, all things are possible. This was the answer that Jesus provided for his disciples then. And I believe that it is recorded here for our benefit today. That we would understand and comprehend and walk in confidence in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. With this type of mustard seed faith, Jesus said, nothing will be impossible for you. Oh, if that were so of you, how many things that are on your mind and heavy on your heart would be surrendered to the power and authority and compassion and mercy of God to allow you to possess 
and know God's peace, that peace which surpasses all understanding. If it is possible, Lord, may your will be done. Would you say, I, I, I believe? And I, I do pray. I do pray that even this morning as you, as you walk out of here, that you are encouraged in your faith, that you would understand, hey, you know what? I just need to exercise my faith, just completely trusting and surrendering to the power and authority of God, that he is able, that he desires to. Exercise that little faith you do have and see things happen in your life, within your life, and glorify the Lord. Now let's talk about death, because this, I believe, leads right into these couple verses that we have here. Verse 22 says, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So after casting the demon out and having this lesson with the disciples, he goes right into proclaiming one, one more time. I'm going to be basically handed over into the hands of certain men, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I will be raised. Now, with the knowledge of the certainty of God's word and that his promises are sure, we come to the subject of death. But not just, of course, anyone's death. But it was Jesus' death. This is the second time that Jesus is telling his disciples that he must be delivered unto death, but will be raised on the third day. Even though Jesus was not just telling them that he would die. He wasn't just telling them, hey, listen, in a short time, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put to death. He wasn't just telling them that. He also told them that he would be raised from the dead. They were, at that point, even at that point, they were just greatly distressed. And granted, any death brings great distress. But what if someone were to tell you that they were going to die very shortly, but that they were going to be raised from the grave three days after they had been put to death? Wouldn't you ask some clarifying questions? <laughs> Jesus, what, 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 do you, what do you mean by that? You know, what, what are you saying? I think that that would have cleared up a lot of things, right? Because remember that the disciples, um, well, I think Paul to the Corinthians summed it up very well. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Yeah, he, didn't, he didn't get the eloquent, the the. the these amazing learned men to turn the world right side up. But he used these fishermen and tax collectors. He used these guys that nobody would have thought um, were capable of doing these things. So one thing that they did know is the word of God. They knew scripture. And so you would think with those uh, clarifying Questions, you know, questions that clarify the statement that they would have understood that the Old Testament, oh, the prophets spoke of you, right? It was, the time already came and went where Peter had proclaimed uh, that Jesus was the son of the living God. And yet how quickly we come to a point to where that is put away and almost completely forgotten. Here they are. But they didn't ask these clarifying questions. It was their distress and sorrow that clouded and even veiled their understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its power. 
distress and sorrow, burdens, distractions, being overwhelmed. All of those things sometimes veil our understanding of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says in the New King James Version, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. What a beautiful verse. I would tell you, commit that one verse to memory, because you will refer to it often. There is a time of sorrow, but then there's a time of rejoicing over the fact that as Christians we know victory. Not only over sin, but over death in Christ Jesus our Lord and our Savior. Jot down, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and you'll see the power and the victory over death. There's no more sting. There's no more victory that death and sin have over those who are in Christ Jesus. How wonderful is that? Faith in God's word applied to death as a believer unveils the reality of the state of the one that has gone home and reminds us of the promise of God that we too will pass through that very same door at some point only to enter into the glory of God for all eternity. Because in Christ we know victory over sin and death. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is great news. I mean, I, I would, I mean, I'm praying, Lord, come back now. <laughs> yeah, I would love for the rapture to take place right now. Let's do it. You guys ready? Ready? Three, two, one. Right? You don't know, but are you ready? Sometimes we cling on to this world just way too tightly. We should just hold on to it loosely, being stewards of that which has been entrusted to us and understand death a little bit better. As Christians, oh man, it should be something completely different. Mourning the loss of our loved ones, yes. But knowing that if they died in Christ, they are more alive now today than ever before. And one day we will be with them in, in all of God's glory and what will be more important, more than like, hey, what you been up to, you know? What's been going on? It's like, we, we won't have those questions. I really believe we will not have questions like that. Like, what's there to do around here? N no. It'll just be, Hawk. Oh, right? Falling just flat on our faces, just in awe. Just like, right? Oh, really? It's... Really? Like every day, really? <laughs> We're still here. He's <laughs> still here. By God's grace. By God's grace. It gives death a whole different perspective. Yeah, death is, is not a foe to be feared by the Christian, but rather understood as the door to eternity, the door to enter into all of God's glory. And so he mentions these three verses, or these couple of verses here. And we see here that they were greatly distressed. So it was like this veil that was still before their eyes. They were, they were paying attention to their, their distress and not necessarily asking, you know, like, give us some more of that. Teach us, Lord. Like, let us understand what you mean by this. You're going to be raised from the dead in three days. Because we want to know your glory. We want to know that. We want to apply it. We want to see death for what it is. And that's why we should 
go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that we would be proclaimers of the gospel. Because we know that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and no one else. And when others come to the Lord, they too, with great certainty and hope, can say, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That when they go home, they certainly go home. They go home to be with the Lord, just as we will one day. Now let's lastly take a look at taxes. Verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, just as I, we didn't put too much time into the last two verses, we're not going to put too much time into this latter portion either. But the first portion that we went over as far as faith is concerned truly speaks to these last two very well. Anyone here pay taxes? What are you doing? Because there's a lot of people that didn't put their hands up. (laughs) Okay. Anyone like to pay taxes? No, you're sick if you do. Sick, just sick. (laughs) The tax collectors, they were the ones that approached Peter. And they confronted him about whether Jesus paid taxes or not. His answer was an immediate yes. He didn't look over to Jesus. He didn't ask him, you know, do you? (laughs) Do you pay taxes? You know, it was just a straight yes. And, and it's interesting that Jesus knew the conversation. And, and immediately when they came into the home, this house, this house in Capernaum, that Jesus is the one that now he already got one. Com- he was confronted by the tax collector. Now he's confronted by Jesus as soon as he came into the home. But I'm going to tell you that actually Peter was wrong in his answer. We know that Peter had this issue, right? He, he would speak too soon. Like right immediately he said, yes, right? The answer that he gave was actually wrong. As Jesus pointed out, the father does not require that of his own son. And it was common for that day also that rabbis would be exempt from paying this tax. Interesting, right? But Peter right away, he said, yeah. Yeah, he he pays taxes. So Jesus takes this opportunity and makes the point that he's not required. But look at verse 27. Jesus starts out by saying, however. It's not required of me, of my father. However. It's an important word there. And then tells Peter how and where he will find a shekel to pay for his tax. Jesus did not want unnecessary conflict to arise. Majoring in the minors. This is is besides a point. This is not something that I will demand in my own life. This is not the purpose of me being here. 
you know, to fight taxes and to, you know, these laws, that, you know, all of these things, you know, that, that's not my purpose. That's not the Father's will for my life right now in this place. So however, however, and Jesus avoided this unnecessary conflict to arise. In this matter, Jesus didn't want to offend. This is one way. See, to offend with the gospel is one thing, right? The gospel is an offense. It's just an offense. To those who reject it, it's, just, it's an offense. So don't draw back from proclaiming the gospel just because you offend a few people. Say it all the more. In this matter, Jesus did not want to offend. There should be no neglect of following man's laws if they do not contradict God's laws. Follow them out. And don't provide unnecessary conflict that would detract from the declaration and reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, be discerning and be wise. There are some arguments that are not worth getting into. It's like, I want to insist on this. Well, good for you. Now I'm closed up to that good news that you had. Maybe someone else will give it to, to that person. But you just lost all opportunity. Why? Because you insisted. You insisted on this very thing. That's why it, it, that word is important. However, who cares? You know, that's, that's my, that's my quote-unquote right. But, but, does that, but does that impact my effectiveness as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? Does it negatively impact the way in which I can speak into you? Did, did I now crush that bridge of trust that perhaps was one time built with people? Need to be, need to be wise. Need to be wise. Need to be discerning. There are some things that shouldn't be issues Important enough to rob the attention that should be given to the good news of God's grace found in Christ. As far as the shekel being found in the fish. Again, I point to the fact that what's too difficult for the creator of the universe? He could have told Peter to roll a rock over and would find the shekel there. I know there's, there's a shekel right there. It's like, how do you know? I know all things. Okay, so go ahead and turn it over and it's right there. It wouldn't have been too difficult for that to happen. Or break that rock open and you'll find it inside. But no, he said, go. And in this, the mouth of this fish, you'll find this shekel. Go fish for it. You'll find it there. It's a beautiful picture of simply doing what Jesus is telling Peter to do. And in doing it, finds and sees exactly what Jesus told him he would find and see. Faith, exercise. It, it's amazing. I mean, that's an amazing story, isn't it? I mean, if you were Peter, which is a fisherman at the time, and you were told, go, go fish. You, do you, you know what um, garbage fish, uh, bottom feeders are? You know, like catfish? Catfish are bottom feeders. They'll eat anything. Um, cans of soda thrown into lakes, they'll eat that. They'll eat anything. You can find all kinds of things. But the Lord knew, hey, in the mouth of this fish was a shekel. Go get it and pay for you and me. For Peter, he simply exercised his faith in the word of God and he went and found it just as Jesus told him he would find it. There are times when Christians argue about the silliest things. 
If we know that this is all passing and we cannot take it with us and that our purpose is to glorify God in who we are and what we do and say and think, then why would we put so much emphasis on fighting for the temporal when it serves as a distraction to the eternal and may even prevent us from being able to tell some people about the good news of Jesus Christ? I hope that we would be more discerning more wise, wiser about these things. May it not be so of us. I want to close with this. With the certainty of God's word, we see how faith, the faith that disciples, the disciples were learning, was a faith of being uprooters of mountains, even with uh, exercising faith the size of a mustard seed. So it didn't matter, as I stated earlier, it didn't matter how big or how small it was. Just exercise that faith in complete surrender, uh, believing that God has the authority and the power to do that which he desires to do. Remember, with God, nothing is impossible and all things are possible. With death, we, we see how perspective has everything to do with how we receive it, because in Christ... We are more than victors over sin and death. And death is the doorway to God's presence for eternity. And with taxes, what Jesus in his perfect knowledge had to say about it at that moment, we should also apply however, right? That word however. And never allow it or anything else to distract and prevent the Christian from being able to spread the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Because that is the most important thing in our lives having an eternal perspective in God. And with that, it will serve you best in this life. And we will truly be good stewards of what God has been has entrusted to us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking, us to, speaking to us once more this morning through your word. I pray, Lord, that as we consider these things, Lord, that the one thing that we keep before us is to exercise our faith in you. To take you at your word. And to simply surrender to the power and authority that you have over all. There's no one bigger. There's no one more powerful. There's nothing that's too difficult for you. There's no place where you cannot be. And you desire, Lord, that we would exercise that faith to bless and glorify you. For without faith, it is impossible to please you, my Lord. And so, Father, we commit ourselves once more to you. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.